So welcome to A Correction Podcast. I'm your host, Lev Moscow. And today we are really excited to be joined by L. Hardy, who is a journalist and author of Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World. And uh, well, first of all, welcome to the show, L. Thank you for having me. You wrote a piece for Jacobin recently um, entitled Pentecostalism is Becoming the New Religion of the Global Poor. So I want to start with a really basic question, but what is the difference between Pentecostalism and mainline Protestantism? So the best way to think about Pentecostalism is that it's a branch of evangelical um, Protestantism, uh, which which I'm sure a lot of people in America will will have a pretty good idea about. Um, So as with all evangelicals, um, first, you've got to be born again. Um, Pentecostals do full immersion baptism, so like the opening scene in Righteous Gemstones. Um, it's usually in a river or a backyard swimming pool or like Justin Bieber famously did in a bathtub. But then Pentecostals will also be born again in the, the Holy Spirit. So that's when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and the nine gifts that are spoken about in the Bible. So that is healing, miracles, prophecy, and so on. But but what Pentecostals are really best known for, which is one of the nine gifts, is speaking in tongues. So that is an um, unintelligible language. Um, people will often sort of almost be in, in like a trance when they're when they're in that um, speaking in tongues. And so it might be a language that that only they know, or a language that that they feel they're speaking with God or that the Holy Spirit is speaking through them. But um, the, the original Pentecostals, it, it comes from the Bible and the original Pentecostals in um, at the turn of the century in Los Angeles and Kansas thought that they were um, being given these languages to go out and convert people in foreign lands. And so they thought they were speaking Chinese and Swedish. And unfortunately, some of them um, hopped on boats, you know, to, to China and, and died of dysentery and other horrible diseases because they got there and they were, you know, completely ill-prepared and, um, and, and sadly weren't, weren't speaking Chinese. So... Um, originally, it had a much more practical meaning. These days, it, it has a much more spiritual meaning. Who was attracted to this, to Pentecostalism? Where did you go to, to do research um, about the church? So people that are attracted to Pentecostalism. So um, it it was, I think, 6% of the world's Christians in 1980 were Pentecostal. It's now something like 25 to 30%. Wow. So it's really exploded in the last um, in the last four decades. And that's really quite instructive because it's really become, as my piece um, talks about, it's, it's the faith of, of what I'd call the working poor. Um, so it's, it's, it's really marked by a few key characteristics of, of why people convert. Um, one of the big things is moving to a big city. So a lot of converts that are happening in, in Brazil, for example, they're, they're sweeping up people who were traditionally Catholic. And, you know, people are moving to a big city like Sao Paulo, 20 million people. Um, they might have moved away from their little community. They're, they're you know, living in favelas. They're, they're working really hard, long, you know, hard jobs with, with long hours. And, and churches, you know, starts to become the place um, for community. Um, you know, it's a place in, in Nigeria, again, very similar kind of story um, that, you know, they, they host speed dating events because everyone's stuck in traffic for three hours each way to and from work per day. So you can't go out and meet anyone. Um, so there's, there's a lot of those sort of practical implications um, of, of particularly big city life. Um, and the sort of tied to the other two main factors, which are converting people, which is what we call health and wealth. Um, so Pentecostalism is, is really big on the miracles and things like that. So it's, it's really, um, means a lot in, 
in in you know the global south and in, in poor places in the world where you know they don't have healthcare. Um, often the only real healthcare is by way of miracle, and you know their their church might have a small medical clinic or someone who goes there who's a doctor who can give you a bit of advice. But but a lot of health is is by faith healing. Um, and, and then wealth, um, prosperity gospel is, is very popular among Pentecostals. It, it really comes out of Pentecostal thought. Um, and that, I mean, interestingly, there is some uh, evidence that, that joining a Pentecostalism, um, that joining Pentecostal church, sorry, uh, improves your material life. Um, people that, that start to join a Pentecostal church um, tend to get their lives together. They might, you know, kick addictions. Um, they, they might sort of knuckle down at work or, or decide to leave their awful job in the factory and start a small street vending business. And, and the preacher is often like a mentor. And, you know, preachers uh, in Pentecostal churches tend to encourage stuff like this and say, well, you know, you go out and, and, and you know, live your dream and, and I'll get everyone in the church to start going, you know, to, to start going to shop there. Um, and so, yeah, there is a real, um, there's been some pretty serious studies that show that, that people tend to um, improve their lot once they join a, a Pentecostal church. So, so that's probably the three really big factors, which sort of ties into a lot of global things, um, but, but they're certainly felt on very real and personal levels. Yeah, um, this sounds, I gotta say, pretty positive though. So what are the political implications of the movement? <laughs> Sure. Um, so, so yeah, Pentecostalism is is very about uplift. Um, people tend to one of the big other yeah conversion things. Is someone in a favela in Brazil said to me, um, you know, the difference between Catholicism and Pentecostalism um, is that Pentecostals say you can be happy in this life too. Um, so, and you know, you find a lot of people <clears throat> in America, you know, who, who might have grown up in a small you know, Baptists or, or something like that in a Southern Baptist church that was, you know, really hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching. And then they, they get a job in, in Los Angeles or um, Phoenix or something like that. And, you know, they, they, they still want to go to church, but they, they might go to a, you know, a Hillsong or another big um, Pentecostal church because they have really amazing music. It's really uplifting. It's very into positive psychology. So the sermon is, is almost like a self-help. Um, you know, it sounds they wouldn't be out of place at a Tony Robbins seminar. Um, so there is that that really positive, uplifting. Um, you can you know have a good life in this in this one too. You know, th- there's nothing wrong with with earning earning some good money or you know trying to improve your life. It's not all about the next one. So so Pentecostals are are very good at that. Um, you, I'd say almost uniquely good. Um, from the beginning, they've always been really good at media as well. So Pentecostal preachers are, um, and and sort of thought thought leaders are, are really great at things like Instagram and, you know, just waking up in the morning and, and picking up your phone when you roll over and, you know, seeing your some of your favourite preachers have put on something inspirational on Instagram, you know, as a way to start your day. So, yeah, that, that that's a real hallmark of, of Pentecostalism. Um, political implications are a bit um, not so positive. Uh, we're starting to see... Well, we have seen around the world that there certainly is a real um, connection, I suppose you'd say, but between a lot of the the sort of new um, anti-establishment right-wing movements that we've seen. So uh, Pentecostals were the first of all the evangelical groups to get behind Donald Trump in the US. Um, his spiritual advisors and uh, so Paula White Kane is a very famous Pentecostal preacher and and. But, but all of the real religious figures that were the first to get behind him were, were Pentecostal. Um, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, again, really had the weight of evangelicals behind him. 
um, uh, Viktor Orban, even in um, in Hungary, which is not a very Pentecostal place, um, still had had a key, you know, Pentecostal figure behind him early on, and uh, and his son has converted to Pentecostalism and, and is a preacher. Um, and Philippines, which is starting its own Pentecostalization, they they were um, the, their most prominent Pentecostal was was behind um, uh, Rodrigo Duterte from the beginning as well. So so we're seeing that a lot, and and I really think that the political thing is there is a common um, sense between these these sorts of um, anti-establishment political figures, and and these these prominent Pentecostal leaders is a real. Um, real rejection of the liberal world order, but also feeling besieged by it. So, so feeling like, you know, that, you know, you'll hear like MAGA guys in America say, oh, I turn on the damn TV and it's all I get is Hollywood liberals telling me how to vote. And, you know, everywhere I go is all I hear people telling me about climate change and COVID. And, and there is a real feeling that everything around them is, is, is liberalizing and secularizing. And, and so you're sort of seeing, you know, we're seeing a massive rise in, um, in people without faith, um, but we're sort of seeing um, a turn to, to some more extreme ends of faith from, from the people who are still staying there and, and people feeling more and more rusted onto their faith. It's much more of their identity and their, their worldview is this very politically charged faith. So it's, it's not in all people, you know, there are six, 600 million Pentecostals. I'd, I'd probably say that that figure is, is, is much smaller um, than, than we know. I think there'd be way more than 600 million Pentecostals, I should say. Um, so it's not the case in all, in all things, but we're certainly seeing a lot of overlaps um, between, between some, some political phenomenon and this religious movement that, that's really exploding. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the relationship between you know, uplifting messages on Instagram in the morning and far right movements. I mean, why is it, do you think, that the the church is supporting these far right leaders and not, you know, and not like Lula, for example, who also says that that change can happen in this life and the world can be can be made a better place? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, the thing with Pentecostalism is that there's no church there's no overarching body there's okay. there's no pope or anything like that so it's all down to individual leaders so so there certainly are some that are left-wing and um you know might be personally really out there advocating for, for someone like lula in brazil um and but there certainly is more overlap on the on the right should we say um and um, unfortunately, from my perspective, a really big issue in, in the global south in places like Brazil does tend to be gay marriage that really tends to galvanise people and sort of get them to, to go towards the more conservative um, candidates. Um, but, but, I mean, Lula has personally, he sort of had to go and, and, and bend the knee towards some of these um, uh, Pentecostal preachers. They're, they're just so powerful <laughs> um, and, and so prominent in the country. So um, any um, political figure in, in somewhere like Brazil um, or Similarly, Nigeria, South Africa, um, just just has to go and and you know play ball with these guys um, and probably talk about more what they have in common um, than than not. Um, and and I mean, you know, it happens in the United States too. Obviously, Clinton, Obama, all those guys, you know, we're always jumping up at various churches. Um, so it certainly is. It, it's not exclusive to the right, but there certainly just it does tend to be more of an overlap. And, and I think that, yeah, unfortunately, um, while, while people are probably going to churches for material reasons, they tend to get co-opted to certain political causes more for um, some of the cultural 
uh, cultural reasons that we see. And, and, and yeah, gay marriage is just time and time again, um, particularly, you know, in countries that um, where it's, it, it's it's not really a thing and doesn't look like being in in, in the near future. Um, the thing that that people would bring up over and over again is, well, look at you guys in the West. You know, you you you're letting the gays marry and and everything's falling apart. Um, and and you know, obviously the, the the two things have no relationship. But but a lot of people um, in other parts of the world certainly see it that way. Do you have a sense about why liberation theology? And maybe it hasn't disappeared, but I don't hear much about it these days. Why maybe it's diminished in its popularity and why this brand of Christianity has, has been able to maybe replace it? Yeah, look, that's so hard because um, I, I, I'm certainly not an expert on liberation theology. I have read a little about it. Um, and there's certainly some great people who, who have written on it. I mean, look, part of it is that in... Um, I mean, it's really a, um, as far as I understand, liberation theology only ever really took off in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was, you know, when it was taking off, it was at the time when there were, you know, a lot of military coups um, helped, by the, helped by the US. And so it was so actively cracked down upon um, that for a lot of people, um, you know, were killed for it or it just became not worth, worth your while um, being a part of it. And um, I, I have a chapter on, on Guatemala in, in my book and um, Guatemala might have the, the most Pentecostal, it might be the most Pentecostal nation on earth in terms of percentage of the population. And that only happened since an earthquake in 1976 that people really started converting. But um, also there was a, you know, a huge, the, the, the dirty wars there and um, people were basically, yeah, almost at gunpoint being forced to convert away from Catholicism in a way because, you know, they were seen as the, the access, um, you know, liberation theology and trade unions and students were sort of seen as this access of, of left-wing evil. Um, and and as uh, someone said uh, in the commission that, don't have the actual quote to hand, um, but it was something like, you know, Pentecostals will survive, Catholics will not, or something something like that. You know, it was that, that simple when they came to your village. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was... Um, I think that the, a big part of liberation theology's um, sort of the way it just sort of seemed to peter out was probably because of just that that sheer physical violence. Um, right. I'm not an an expert, so I'm not sure I'd actually be able to tell you. And then, and then probably also the overlapping that the fact that Pentecostals are just so much better in speaking to the here and now, the health and wealth that I mentioned. Um, is that that sort of turned people away from from the Catholic Church as well? Um, so so they're just not really going to listen to a um, liberation theology preacher. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering. And what was so interesting about your piece is just how much material support the Pentecostal churches give to people. And I'm wondering whether or not the left, whether or not it's it's the left churches, or whether I'm, I'm, we're just talking about like left groups. But whether or not they're learning from this strategy of the Pentecostal churches to start to provide more material support. And I'm, I'm just thinking about here in the United States, the, the kind of stuff that the Black Panthers did. Is, is that starting to happen as a, as a response or in response to the Pentecostal movement? Oh, um, I'm probably not the person to ask. Um, I mean, I, I would hope so. Um, I mean, my guess would be that it's probably just a bit downstream. You see that there's so many efforts just to unionise at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of places, just, just what it takes, you know, 
years and people losing their jobs and things like that just to unionize your bloody Amazon warehouse or your little Starbucks. Um, so, so I think that that kind of organizing is, is really sort of where the weight seems to be on the American left at the moment. Um, so I'm not sure if there is any real great organization, but yeah, and look, it's, it's not just entirely um, Pentecostal groups. I mean, churches have always, you know, um, been pretty good at, at, at feeding the, you know, sort of pulling their resources and, and you know, doing a bit of a feeding some homeless or, you know, taking some, um, uh, you know, jackets to people in the cold and, and things like that. Um, churches are just tend to be better equipped to, you know, they're the only sort of community groups that are really, mo- you know, mobilised and have the resources to do that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, I mean, I would really hope that there, you know, as a as a secular person myself, that is that that maybe um, some some groups are able to to get stuff together and not have this being the sole domain of churches. But as far as I'm aware, in in the US, um, it 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 largely is church based for sure. Yeah. So you said that there's not a Pentecostal church, but that there are churches, and I'm wondering maybe you could talk a little bit about the different countries you 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 went to and. What were the differences? Sure. Um, so, so another really prominent feature of Pentecostalism is that churches really look and feel like the traditional culture. Um, so, so again, in, in Brazil um, is always a great example. The, you know, your traditional Catholic priest or bishop is um, is probably white, um, was probably educated in Spain or Portugal, and they've just kind of been dropped into your, you know, into your favela or into your village um, in, you know, in the edge of the Amazon or whatever, but your Pentecostal preacher, you don't need any qualifications, you know, you just need a following. Um, so they're usually the most charismatic guy in the village, you know, someone who's really great with people, who's inspiring, who can do a great speech, who just remembers people's names, things like that. Um, but they're also, you know, they're probably mixed race. Um, they probably speak the same kind of dialects that you know of, of your particular region um they you know know your family they they you know they they still live in the favela they they're out walking the streets they hear that your mum's sick while you're at work all day and your horrible job of 12 hours at the factory or whatever so they go around and they give your mum some comfort take her a little basket on behalf of the congregation those sorts of things so Obviously, that's not entirely exclusive to Pentecostalism, but but certainly Pentecostals are just much better at it because they they're just so much, their preachers are so much more a part of the community, and you know they've risen up like you do, and and people tend to find that really inspiring as well. That you know, this kid that grew up in the same streets as you is now this really revered community leader. Um, so that really seems to inspire people. Um, but in terms of countries that I went to, so it's twelve countries and six U.S. states, I think. Um, and now trying to remember them is going to be great. So uh, <laughs> Australia, where I'm originally from, um, the US, uh, where I spend a lot of time working, uh, the UK, likewise, um, and then uh, South Korea, um, where Pentecostalism is really taking off among uh, North Korean uh, defectors, uh, South Africa and Mozambique, um, where it's always been pretty popular, but, but again, it's really taking off, uh, Nigeria, which is, yeah, the, again, probably with Brazil, the most Pentecostal country, um, but also it, it's sort of 50-50 Christian Muslim. So, so there's um, a bit of tensions there. The Pentecostals are uh, probably more host- hostile to Islam than any of the other Christian faiths. Um, where else do I say? Brazil, Guatemala. Spent a little bit of time in Greece, but I was only able to mention that in passing. Um, I feel like there's one that I've forgotten, but anyway, we're pretty close as giving a, an overall picture, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, in the US, I was in, gosh, Alabama, California, Missouri, Kansas, 
Mississippi, Texas. I think they're the main states that I covered. Um, but yeah, so I was trying to to give quite a. Um, oh, Israel was was the other one, um, the other country. Israel. Um, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, a lot of um, Pentecostals, or I mean, a lot of um, evangelicals and Christians sort of do pilgrimage there, but Pentecostals are particularly interested and have a particular relationship um, to to the state of Israel. You mentioned Bolsonaro before and his relationship with the Pentecostal movement. Um, You also mentioned Trump before. These guys don't live, um, I don't think of them as living you know, Christian lives, really. Um, so how do the Pentecostals square their support for, you know, these people who have, you know, multiple wives or who cheat on their wives or who, you know, employ neoliberal policies, which end up hurting the poor with their support for these people? Yeah, that, that's a super interesting question. Um, so, I guess basically the short answer is that um, certainly in terms of Trump, he became part of the reason why he became a really popular figure um, with with American evangelicals and particularly Pentecostals. Um, you know that they were calling them um, him, him their King David, so they wanted someone to do their bidding on their behalf. Um, some found it actually quite quite comforting that he um, wasn't going to be restrained by their morality. He was just doing whatever it was going to take to get the job done, you know. So, so the big thing was was moving the um, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. That that was really really important to Pentecostals because you know they they believe that you know um, reconstructing the temple is going to kick off the end times, um, and you know they're, they're they're genuine believers and you know they 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 do you know believe in in the end of days and um, they're they're quite happy to bring it on. Um, so so that's really the um, the thing and and the same with, with Bolsonaro. Um, for you know, probably slightly different reasons. Um, not so, not so um, uh, biblically literal, I, I guess you'd say. But yeah, it's just someone who's going to get stuff done, um, get, get stuff done on their behalf, and and it's just you know by any means necessary. Um, we you know might be might be a bit offended if they you know came in and acted you know in certain ways in our church or you know in our social circles. We might find their personal morality a little a little funny but that's fine you know they they don't want to be their friend they they want them to be their leader and to um to to fulfill you know the things that they think are really important and and again I think that a big part of that is again really that feeling besieged by the liberal secular culture around them that they they really do just want someone to go in and fight on their behalf um and you know whoever it is whatever it takes some years ago Mike Davis wrote a book called Planet of Slums and in the book he talks about of the structural reasons why so many poor people are moving in the global south are moving from from the countryside to cities and mm-hmm. the rise of of basically slums and favelas uh, across the world and this is happening at the same time that the state the social welfare state is is in retreat everywhere and so he was saying of course what happens is people arrive in you know the slums of of istanbul and there's no state there and so gangs basically fill that void. And again, they provide people like with material assistance. I'm wondering what the relationship is between these gangs, say in the favelas of, of Rio or Sao Paulo and the churches in these same favelas. Um, yeah. So there's, there's actually some really interesting stuff. So um, yeah, in Brazil, that there's this phenomenon of um, evangelical drug dealers, um, of Pentecostal oh. drug dealers. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and they um, there's sort of like um, 
they're effectively right-wing militia leaders um, and, you know, right-wing militias uh, throughout, particularly Latin America, have, have a long history with, with being uh, a certain way inclined. Um, and, yeah, there was actually this guy, uh, sorry, my Portuguese is terrible, I think it's is Pechiel, which means, like, big, big fish, mm-hmm. and they found um, his lair and it was, like, full of Torah scrolls and, um, wow. and um, yeah, all this stuff, and then they, they found his, um, his kind of, big mansion and it had like a fresco of um jerusalem around it and yeah so sorry that that's just part of the, the israel stuff that we were uh, talking about i found that pretty crazy um so sorry what, what was your question again the connection oh yeah so just like what the connection is between the say the, the gangs and the churches in the same community yeah uh, look it's it's difficult to um i'm always a bit wary of coming up with a sort of overarching theory but i think it's mm-hmm. probably just again it's that that connection on community levels it's understanding you know what people want to need and how the streets work you know you um i imagine that whenever you get these gang leaders it's because they've come up through the streets and just understand you know the culture and how things work around there and um not saying that you know pentecostal preachers are in any way gang leaders but i think that they have a similar sense of being tuned into the community and of who people are and what they want and their aspirations and then I think just also the the, the withering away of, of whatever welfare state that you know has sort of been built up in in places since you know probably World War II I would guess you know now everything's just constantly you know about austerity and and cutting back on programs and things like that um and you know there's certainly you know you've seen a concerted effort in, in the u.s and then everywhere you know everywhere catches on whatever the u.s is doing for a long time of making you know government the enemy and and every interaction with government being horrendous um so so that so that you weren't a patient so that people just kind of retreat to their own communities and to their own social networks and their own um yeah ways of organizing through things like churches or through local gangs or, or, or whatever you need um, to survive is just, um, yeah, it just winds up making sense after a while to a lot of people. So, so I think there are definitely similar phenomena at play.